0: Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the Spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Being an American can mess with your sense of sacred geography. And today's story from the Hebrew Bible narrates Moses hike up Mount Sinai where he will spend 40 days and 40 nights speaking with God, receiving commandments. But if you put Mount Sinai into a search engine, you're more likely to get a hit for a hospital in New York than a desert hillside between Egypt and Palestine. One of my theology professors in seminary was a retired bishop from Pennsylvania, and he was often invited to be part of official Orthodox and Anglican dialogues. And he would get a lot of mileage out of the joke that he would tell. He loved to tell the Eastern Orthodox bishops that he was the Bishop of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. (laughs) The site of Jesus' Transfiguration is traditionally Mount Tabor. And did you know that Missouri has our own Mount Tabor? It's near Cape Girardeau. So when I say being an American can mess with your sense of sacred geography, you get a bit of what I'm saying. Those place names, they sound mythic. And that mythologizing of names makes some sense, especially when you encounter stories like we have today. Today's story of the transfiguration, that story of Moses up on Mount Sinai, it should cause images to flash in your mind. This is the stuff of legend, of sacred symbol. And this is a story of the wildness of God. But at the same time, It's important not to get too hung up on the symbols. I'll say something about that in a moment. The glowing faces, the clouds, don't get too distracted by them. Because when you encounter a story of mythic proportion like this, it's important to ask why. What are these stories trying to tell us about God? I've admitted to this congregation before, for a long time the transfiguration was not one of my favorite stories. It's a bit spooky, and it's problematic, if we're honest. Given the history and present reality of racism and colorism in our society, do we really need Jesus' face to be momentarily glowing white? Don't we have enough white Jesus? And we certainly do in here. We're working on that. There's about to be a set of windows getting installed, and we'll have our first uh, picture of Jesus where his face isn't white. But this story of the transfiguration always bugged me for that reason. Why include it? And I can be a pretty rational human being. I'm a product of my culture. I like reasons for things. And that's another piece of this story that never made sense to me. It, It doesn't advance the narrative. There's no way for what happens on the mountain to play a part in what will come next because Jesus swears James and John and Peter to secrecy as they come down. They can't have an effect on the rest of the story. And so neither Mount Tabor or Mount Sinai are destinations. In both of the stories, the mountains are waypoints in an ongoing journey, turning points. Now this story of Jesus and in the story of Moses, it's the journey that matters. So let's look at Moses' journey When they reach Mount Sinai, the people of Israel have just escaped slavery. After the frogs and the boils and the plagues and locusts, after traveling through the Red Sea on dry land, they get to Mount Sinai. Moses walks up. There, Moses encounters God. And on Sinai, God gives people laws. That may sound like a strange gift to a people you have just set free laws. Isn't that a strange way for awarding the people? The late theologian and educator Verna Dozier would argue that this story makes absolute sense. Dozier liked to say that people are not simply free from something, but for something. See, God has a stake In what will come after Egypt, what will come after Sinai. God has a vision for life in community, a vision Jesus would later call the kingdom of God, the reign of God. Dr. King would translate that vision as the beloved community. But there's a reason why God introduces so many of the commands that Moses brings down this way. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Or remember, you were strangers. Or remember, you were mistreated. God's laws have an ask. God tells the people if they want to be God's people, they must act with justice. Their laws demand mercy. The people are free, but they're free to enact God's vision of a just society, a society which makes room for the immigrant, that treats the stranger as a neighbor. The people are made free because their God has a plan of liberation that reaches beyond just the original folks God chose. God's people are set free from persecution and free from becoming persecutors. God's people are set free from hoarding wealth God's people are to be set free so that others might be free, might know justice. There on Mount Sinai, God reveals the vision. And granted, it's a detailed vision. Traditionally, there weren't 10 commandments, but 613. But those laws detail a vision for freedom, a vision for justice. Everyone is equal before the law. There on Sinai, God gives people their freedom. Sinai is the place where Moses and the people encounter God's dream for a just community. Sinai is a turning point for the people to whom God has entrusted freedom. And Mount Tabor is a turning point in the story of Jesus. Make no mistake, Matthew is invoking Sinai. Jesus is to be seen in this lineage is to be seen as a Moses who is to give a vision. Mount Tabor is on the road as well, on the road from Galilee where Jesus' ministry begins, down to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus and these select three disciples climb the mountain just after he has told the crowd that anyone who wants to follow him must deny themselves and take up their cross. This story comes as Jesus' pronouncement about his own impending death have just begun. As they walk toward Jerusalem, toward the holy city, Jesus will share this dark news again and again. Jesus knows where the movement is headed. And so poor Peter's words make more sense when you realize that just a few verses before, Peter told Jesus not to go forward. He begged his leader, When Jesus talked about his impending death, Peter said, this must not be. And Jesus responded to Peter with those famous words, get behind me, Satan. And so it makes more sense to encounter Peter here on the mountain, trying to set up camp, trying to stop while the view is good. God knows, though, the journey must go on. The late Jesuit priest and activist Daniel Berrigan used to tell folks, if you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. Following Jesus is costly. The news for the disciples isn't good. Jesus is sure that his preaching of love, his teaching of justice, his proclamation of this just society that Moses had originally codified, this is not going to go well. Jesus is sure this preaching is going to get him killed. Jesus knows his circumstances. The world had never seen a power more mighty or more oppressive than the Roman Empire. Never had more people been so categorized, so divided. Never had categories been more enforced than in Rome's empire. Slave or free, woman or man, citizen, non citizen, permitted religion, non permitted religion, Rome invented all sorts of ways to classify and codify. And critically, Rome assigned and negated rights based on those categories. In such a world, Jesus knew God's unconditional love, God's vision of justice, it was radical. Remember, Cornel West tells us justice is just what love looks like in public. Jesus knew this vision of God's was going to make all sorts of trouble for him and for his followers. God's justice was breaking into a world of human injustice. So Jesus hits pause. That's where I've come to with this story of the transfiguration. Jesus needs a moment off the road, he takes a pause. For just a few verses, he doesn't advance the story. Jesus climbs up the mountain. He takes some of his closest followers. Maybe he picks the guys who most need reassurance. Notice Jesus doesn't bring any of his women disciples along. I'm betting it's because Jesus knows they've got this. Remember, it's the women that are going to be with him as he suffers. It's the women who will find the empty tomb on Easter morning. But there on the mountaintop, Peter, James, and John are given a blessed assurance. And I wonder, do they need that assurance if they're going to keep on walking? As I've wrestled with this story, there's a single word in Christian theology that for me gives meaning to the mythic significance of the transfiguration. It's a strange word, so bear with me. The word is foretaste. We use the word to describe the Eucharist in one of our post-communion prayers. We say that the Eucharist is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. The word basically means we, we catch a glimpse. We get a little bit of a taste of something that is coming. And there on the mountain, Jesus' followers, don't they catch a glimpse of what God is promising? Don't they catch a glimpse of the glory that is to come? This connection to the Eucharist, it works for me with this transfiguration story with which I struggle. You see, because each week when we come to this table, we're seeking to catch a glimpse, to have a foretaste of the meal that God plans for us, the heavenly banquet, the promised reign of love. Here at this table where all are welcome, we gather with folks who are wildly different from us. We gather with folks who voted for the wrong person from whoever you think the right person is. We gather with folks from different races, from different genders, from different orientations, from different immigration statuses, different abilities, different languages. At Jesus' table, no one has special privileges. Even the fancy clothes worn by us clergy are meant to represent aprons and serving garments. Here, week in and week out, we squint and we breathe and we gather and we remember that this meal Jesus gave to us It's meant to sustain us, to sustain us in difficult times. It's meant to point us beyond the frustrations of today and toward the hope of the coming justice of God. When God reminds the disciples in this story, this is my beloved son, listen to him. God's also giving them reassurance. The road ahead is going to be hard. There will be more mountains to climb. There will be suffering. There will be awful political consequences. The road won't be easy. Christianity is a faith for those who need reminders, regular reminders week in and week out, that God is still working even when the world seems bleak. The Eucharist is bread for the journey of those who keep walking toward justice, even when it seems like injustice is on the rise. Especially when it seems like injustice is on the rise. Because God is with us for the whole journey. There's a little bit of a hidden piece in this story. Matthew's intimating something to us. Notice that the words that God gives out of that cloud, they've been spoken before. Even in this season, today's the last Sunday of the Epiphany, all the way back at the beginning. At the Feast of the Baptism of Jesus, 14 chapters of Matthew before where we are today, God speaks these words for the first time. Jesus has just been baptized in the River Jordan by John, and the voice comes from heaven, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Don't miss the geography. The Jordan River Valley isn't just the lowest place in Palestine, it's the lowest point on earth. The Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea, remember. There at the bottom, Jesus and his followers hear those words the first time, this is my beloved child. Chapters later, chapters later, months later, ministry later, Jesus climbs up to the top of a high mountain, and there are the words from God again. This is my son who I dearly love. I am pleased with him. Listen. The story of God's love is the same at the depths and at the heights. The very geography of Matthew is telling us quietly, across space, across time, God still chooses to make a people God's own. God still asks us to walk humbly, to love mercy, to do justice, God will show up and God asks us to listen. God is still with us in the most difficult moments, facing seemingly insurmountable obstacles. God will be with us on all of the steps ahead. As you begin your Lenten journey this week, know that our God has always been the God of journeys. There's a reason that Christians name so many places after the places in the Bible. There's a reason the Jewish people named a hospital Sinai. These places are a reminder that God is not done with us. There may be more mountains to climb, and God will be there with us as well. Amen.